Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name's Jed. I'm Jay. How's everybody doing? Um, they can't answer you. I was waiting for a reply. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Yeah. Doing all right. You know, yeah. You know. I just went, just life. Just went to a child's uh, birthday party. Have you been to those? Those are fun. No, they're not. Uh, are you lying? Are you being facetious? I have children, so I, I've. Well, yeah, but but yeah, you're. I've been. Them. But you're a spiteful Scrooge. That's, like, more than partially true. I've seen you. I've seen you push your child down the stairs. You haven't seen anything. Oh, that's right. Thanks for the money. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> how how is that? So like, I know what that's like going to a kid's birthday party with kids. Without kids, it makes me never want kids. Oh, for real? That's yeah. how actually no, no. I I, I lie. I, it, we spent the time trying to uh, convince our groups. I guess I'll call her like our group daughter. The the our friend. One of our friends has a kid, and we're all kind of group raising him. You know what I mean? How that situation? Yeah, goes yeah, 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 uh, yeah. We were yeah. just trying to convince her that the water is good. Trying to get her to go in the pool, and she would just freak out, and it was pretty funny. <laughs> that is. Funny. Yeah. That is funny. Yeah, I was actually just at a birthday party yesterday, and um, the topic of conversation uh, turned into, well, I talked about how I am going to put my youngest in MMA as soon as he's old enough, just because I think he'll, like, super Because like he's it. a bulldozer. Because he's a monster. And then um, it talked about, then we talked about, debated whether or not my buddy Joe could kick my three-year-old's ass. So that's how that conversation went down. Well, I mean, could he? Joe, Joe's forty-two. So what you think? You think your three-year-old could take him? Oh fuck yeah! No. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, uh, so uh, interesting news article I read. Uh huh. Tigers are the most vengeful animal. So a Siberian tiger got shot by a hunter, and the hunter stole part of the tiger's kill, right? So the tiger okay. tracked him down back to his cabin, wrecked every thing on the property that had the man's scent on it, and then hid in the oh, woods by the front door for 48 hours until the dude came home and then ripped him apart and ate him. That's incredible. So I will say, though, um, I don't think... That takes into account like a seven-month pregnant woman. Uh, I'll say that for sure. It's true, but I shouldn't. I feel like they'll hear me if I say that that's true. <laughs> my, I'm pretty sure my wife doesn't listen to this podcast anymore, so I think I think we're good. My wife is behind too, and she's at work right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. And she's also never been seven months pregnant. So there's that. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, like, you know, we're talking about kids, and then I go hang out with all these kids, and I'm like, you know what? You all suck. Eek. Yeah, I had the exact opposite. No, Maybe I know. It was just like the kids that I was hanging out with. Exactly. I, like, my children feed off of each other and, like, go crazy. But, like, we put all of our kids together there's like 10 kids there and everybody played super nice it was incredible they like entertained each other so that we could have adult talk it's yeah awesome. it's true i know yeah I'm, I'm largely just lying but <laughs> 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 some of them were cool it's just like talk about and we me and uh me and my buddy ethan were sitting at the kitchen table eating and he was like and we were just like yep and we were just sipping soda and he was like remember when you were a kid and you would go to a birthday party like this, you would think you took ecstasy on Bourbon Street. I mean, you were excited. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, dude. He's like, the birthday party would be in October, and you've been looking forward to that since August. Like, you are hyped oh, for yeah. that. And it's like, and now look oh, at yeah. us. Just poured out of our minds. And we're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how yeah, times yeah. change. Uh, yes, yes. Um, what? Oh, yeah. So, my... um taking of supplements i think finally backfired on me you do dish dish um i started well i was looking into more anxiety cures right and mood things and i've been looking into gut health 
because mm-hmm. that's you know all the leading or the up and coming research is saying that like your gut brain has like a lot to do with your uh, emotions and your mood. I mean that makes sense. It's all it does make reaction, sense. Like right? you know, well no, it's it's actually just like there's more neurons in your gut than there are in a rat's brain entirely. Yeah, but compare that to your regular brain. Uh, maybe like yeah i'd still say it's a, a proportion i mean anyway it makes anyway sense. yeah okay like you know when you get dumped or something and you feel it in your gut um i don't have a heart so no, that's I don't. true okay well pretend you're human <laughs> you ever got butterflies in your stomach that's where that comes from that's your gut brain like physically that's your gut brain yes are you serious yeah interesting isn't it though i thought it was just like a psychosomatic thing uh-uh because there's neurons up in there. Anyway, so I looked up this probiotic, and it was like a 30 billion flora. And like, what it's supposed to do is you take this this probiotic, and uh, it's supposed to kick out all. It's supposed to basically reorganize the flora in your gut. And um, it just is it act- a specific? Is it a specific kind of probiotic? Yeah, it's like it was. Um, it was like. You're supposed to find ones that have 10 different live cultures, at least 10, and at least 30 billion units per whatever. Okay. Yeah. But it's not like specific cultures or anything. Yeah, I don't remember the names, though. Mm. They, have, they have the names, but yeah, it is, it is some like... I wonder if you, you didn't like just drink kombucha or something? I hate kombucha, dude. I tried to. Really? Yeah, I don't like it. Well, all right, I did try like ginger kombucha and all, and ginger in itself. Like, have you ever, have you ever took a whiff of like a, a freshly cut thing of ginger? Oh yeah, God, it's you can spicy. Yo, dude, you could use that as a cleaner. But yeah, I didn't dude, like it. I will say I'm a huge fan of kombucha, especially when I'm on keto diet, and I'll tell you why. Why? Is because I eat like entirely too much cheese whenever I'm on keto diet, and that kombucha helps out if you're not really? me. Really? Oh, oh yeah. well, that's what the probiotic's supposed to do anyway. Mm-hmm. But long story short, it put me in a crippling depression all last week <laughs> where, like, <laughs> like, it was bad, dude. Like, like, uh, <laughs> like every night I was, I turned into the one where I was like, baby, why don't you love me? And like, what? Uh... Am I okay? Why do I feel so weird? And yeah, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I think I'm so just like gonna some Google the, the so easiest like, way to kill myself. So like some of the people we used to trip with in high school, is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna die. Yeah, Why is everybody wrong? So I took, I gave this kid who was a med student. Um, he was in med school and i gave <laughs> i gave him some quote unquote ecstasy that turned out to not well, i don't know what it was but it was it, it wasn't the greatest but like it was you know whatever i was fucked up but he right. he just kept going oh my pancreatic acid <laughs> we <were> like, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> like he was he had so mind fucked himself he was like I, can, so... I think i can feel the ribosome separating and like <laughs> he was having a bad time that was good. So but um, speaking of experimenting with yourself on chemicals, dude, we have an awesome guest today, Norman Oler, who wrote Blitz. Oh, yeah. Drugs in the Third Reich. It's incredible. It is. And once again, you get to hear me talk to a highly intelligent person and try to keep up. Alright, so I'm here with Norman Oler, that's how you pronounce it? Yeah, Oler. Oler, uh, the author of Blitzed, um, Drugs and the Third Reich. Um, so how, how did you get, well, a little background, um, I'm, I'm interested in this, my grandmother was full-blooded German, and then I'm um, studying to be a substance abuse counselor, I actually um, am a recovered um, crystal meth addict from years ago i've I've been years in recovery now so this this subject has always been intensely interesting to me and 
when I was researching it a few years back, it was pretty dismissed, like it was uh, a footnote. And so when oh. I when I read your book, I was like, oh, well, that's awesome. What what got you? So what is yeah, it? yeah, podcast. Okay. Well, I was actually approached by someone who uh, was quite familiar with uh, drugs. Um, being a, a DJ, he's a friend of mine, he's a DJ in a Berlin club, and um, uh, he had uh, heard about uh, the topic. He was the first person to realize that it actually is a big topic, because fr uh, friends of his, it sounds a bit crazy, but they had looted a pharmacy in East Berlin and had found in the um, in the uh, in the in the, in the uh, closed uh, cabinet, or however you want to call it, where the where the where the drugs are being kept, they found an actual original uh, pervitine um, uh, package, no and way. they gave that. To, yeah, and uh, this was so. So this was a uh, uh, six decades old, I suppose, six or seven decades old. And uh, he tried one pill, and uh, he could feel a strong effect. Um, and then he tried a second one and a third one, and then he was re he really realized that this is this is pure crystal meth, basically. This is methamphetamine, and this was sold legally in the in the Germany in the 30s and 40s. And he told me about this, and then I started doing my started doing my research. What um has there been academic research? Then I went into academic archives. research, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> has there been um, well, I guess for 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 my listeners, I'm just gonna um if they're unfamiliar with the book. So what, what are you proposing with your book, basically? Um, I'm not proposing all that much. Or I'm, presenting, you know, or, rather. Yeah, I'm presenting the drug reality um, in Nazi Germany, in the so-called Third Reich, a society which claimed to be um, or was trying to be a pure society without any toxins uh, that was that was a, uh, an important part of Nazi ideology the reality however was that a substance abuse was um, was huge uh, especially methamphetamine which was developed in Berlin and put on the market by a German company uh, in 1938 uh, was uh, the methamphetamine abuse was rampant and uh, it was not considered to be a drug. It was not illegal. You, did, you didn't even need a prescription. You could get it in any pharmacy. They, they even put chocolates on the market with methamphetamine in it. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in Blitzed about the contradiction between, on the one hand, the ideology of a, of a pure and, and drug-free society or the idea of a, of a drug-free society, and on the other hand, of basically the reality as it presented itself. And, it, and it's interesting because it's, I can see that happening in modern day America right now too, almost with with the prescri the widespread prescriptions of Adderall and Ritalin yeah. for the kids, and yet it's still like painted yeah. as a drug free America. Yeah, I think there are definite parallels between Nazi Germany and uh, present day America. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to say that. Oh uh, uh, yeah, likewise. What yeah. um, I'd never uh, heard of the the chemical twenties. Uh, era of Germany, as you put it, what um, mm. if you could speak a little on that, that was very interesting to me. It seemed like it it brought them out of the depression of World War One, essentially. Well, after the total defeat in World War One, uh, the general mood was depressed in Germany. At the same time, it was a, for the first time a democracy on German soil between 1918. When the world, when World War One was over in 1933, when the Nazis took power, so for 25 years there was a, uh, no, sorry, for 15 years there was a, a democratic system which was allowing all kinds of freedoms. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, people were were free to consume whatever they wanted. Um, at the same time, many people, many soldiers uh, have had returned from the war. Uh, addicted to morphine, so they were still using morphine in the 20s. And the cultural mood, especially in Berlin, was very open. So people were experimenting with all kinds of substances in order to boost their creativity or improve their mood. Or Drugs were not stigmatized in, the, in, this, in this era, which was called the Weimar Republic. Drugs were considered um, basically a normal part of, of life. 
is is that kind of a way that uh, Hitler was propped up? Also, because it like did it get bad enough in that era that uh, like a cleansing or a cleaning up of the society was something that was appealing to the people? Yeah, certainly. This was one of the main points of Nazi ideology that this Weimar Republic is a degenerate system uh, full of drugs and uh, full of Jews using drugs, full of things we don't want in our pure uh, Aryan uh, Germany that we, we try to to build here. That That's the racist Nazi ideology. So they combined the anti-Semitism early on with anti-drugs uh, sentiments and uh, were one of the f- first governments in the world to kind of start the war on drugs when they took power in 1933 in order to create this clean and pure system. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's the other parallels. That's what happened with the African American and, and gay community in America as well. It's it's pretty interesting how it's repeated. War, war on drugs is 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 always used or is a is a control instrument yep. for those who are in power against those that they don't want. Yeah, that's why the war on drugs is highly problematic because it's not really to help the population, but to separate one part of the population and punish them. Absolutely. Do you, now the things that when I was reading through it that stuck out to me were just like the profound effect the chemicals seemingly had on like the entire course of the war like from the beginning so would you even think that like the war possibly would have been a non-starter without that first pervident experience well or it's don't very like... hard to say right, right. um pervitin really helped the germans uh achieve their their early successes but it's not the only reason why they achieved those successes also their strategy was cutting edge um, the way they used uh, weapon weaponry was cutting edge but they combined that with a cutting edge knowledge of how to use um, basically methamphetamine uh, to keep their soldiers awake for a long periods um, of time actually for 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 i mean a, a normal human being cannot stay awake for five days but no. so, so Someone on methamphetamine might be able to do so for maybe three or four days. And uh, if you give that person uh, uh, a tank, uh, uh, it certainly uh, can wreak havoc. And that's exactly what happened, especially in the attack on France. The Western allies were completely surprised by the German strategy and and, and speed of movement. And that's the same that happened with Poland when Germany attacked Poland in 39, the Polish were very much they were still riding on horses and the germans were yeah. sitting crystal meth in uh, tanks so that's uh it's not only the crystal meth but it's sitting on crystal meth in tanks that's different that, oh, that yeah. done for the first time and that just that just surprised and overwhelmed the 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 the, the, the allies so and you you um allies and you mentioned that alcohol would be an entirely different subject and i imagine it was just hand in hand to come down with the pervitin i imagine was it would be a good numbing agent well, after the blitz or alcohol was probably the number one drug of national socialism i mean it was people drank like uh they drink heavily um to cope with the stress and and also methamphetamine and alcohol kind of complement each other i don't know yeah. i mean if yeah lots if, of um you can lots, drink more yeah lots of alcoholics will use speed strictly for yeah. the use to be able to drink more without passing out yeah yeah so yeah these these two main drugs of the of the nazis were really um having their effect on on on, on behavior and on on decision making and on actions so would you I can't remember the exact, I'd heard when I was looking into this in the past, there were suggestions that Hitler was suffering from a, like a specific mystery illness that needed treatment. Was uh, I don't think it was or, so mysterious. I mean, he suffered from uh, stomach cramps and intestinal cramps, and uh, he always had a bad digestion, and he suffered from uh, too much gas, and uh, I guess this was a huge problem for him. Um, 
because he told Morel, his, his personal physician, when they first met that all his other doctors cannot get rid of this problem and it keeps him from really working as much as he, w he would like to. Uh, and Morel gave him a probiotic uh, medicine, which actually cured this, um, th these, um, these uh, gut problems. And uh, that's why Morel got the job as the personal physician. And um, later times, didn't people see when I, with my knowledge of meth and um, opiates, uh, looking at, at Hitler's behavior and like behavior of soldiers, it's, it was, it's plainly obvious to me. Didn't some people suggest that um, later in life he was like developing Parkinson's symptoms because of the shaking? Yeah, that was the theory. What do you say about that? Is it oh, Parkinson's? It's no, it's withdrawal. It's like obviously withdrawal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In my mm -hmm. or my opinion, or just, it's just and that's um, what my research also showed. Yeah, but you know, he took. Do you? You probably know oxycotton. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What is? Do you know what twenty milligrams of it would do intravenously? Yeah, quite a lot. Is it? Is it strong? Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so what if you take this every other day for a couple of weeks? Is that is does that build up? Uh, uh, a dependency? Oh yeah, you you build a dependency usually in three to four days of, of if you really? consistently yeah intravenously if you use it for oh, well I'll say five days at the minimum you'll you'll experience some uh, some withdrawal when you quit but two weeks absolutely and then I was so, look I was looking at um <laughs> the list of of chemicals Hitler was on the one that that um, jumped out yeah. at me was the uh, scopidol which is <laughs> A mixture mm -hmm. of scopolamine, oxycodone, and ephedrine, which is like the most ridiculous combo I've ever seen in my life. So he was oh. on some... <laughs> I haven't even highlighted that, right? Yeah. What is it called? Scopo? Um, Scopadol. It's in the, when you listed the 80 oh. chemicals. I, I saw the name and I was like, surely that's not scopolamine, which is um, devil's breath is another name for it. <laughs> it's But yeah, that's... a. Uh, what is it? What is in it? Um, scopolamine, oxycodone, and ephedrine. It's a triple mixture. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 I, I should have. Didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Listed. Yeah. So that's, that's so and that's just. Story, some historians say I I exaggerate, but I actually think I under I even I even underplay some of <laughs> some of that that went down. And it, it, that's what I'm saying to any. To anyone familiar with with chemicals and what they do, um, I I think people do people that don't have any experience or training into how much chemicals can truly change the essence of a person. They don't. Mm. They're looking at they're looking at symptoms in the wrong way, trying to explain behaviors from a viewpoint that they're just looking in the wrong direction. Like it's it's plainly obvious. And and I was gonna ask, do you think do you think the Eucadol, which was the the uh, oxycodone, do you think th that was the death nail for Hitler? Like that was the one that proved to be most problematic, in your opinion? I mean, we're just speculating, but well, that is what I kind of that's kind of the point I make. But I, it might be wrong. I mean, it might be something else. It might be the combination. What 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 did you think? I, I would say the the combination of Intravenous methamphetamine use will just deteriorate your mental ability. Like when um, the talking to himself, the long um, yeah. in the bunker at night, you said he would have long conversations with himself. But to my knowledge, he didn't take methamphetamine intravenously. Oh, did he not? No, he was oh. really into opioids. Oh, well then, yeah, that's what I would stick on that. Hmm. Well, wasn't he given a? Wasn't there some um, stimulant? He was given. He was given methamphetamine intravenously uh, on Christmas, nineteen forty-four. But basically, his doctor didn't believe in methamphetamine. He said it's not oats for the horse; it's the whip. But oh. he was. His doctor was really into opiates and opioids, and 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 I think that, I mean that that for sure Hitler got those. There's speculation about methamphetamine in Hitler's veins, but there's no. There's no records actually that show it except that one time on Christmas 1944. Oh, 
okay. so he was really more an opiate guy and he took uh, quite a bit of cocaine uh, in the summer and fall of 1944 together with the opioids yeah you would, and you would um also interesting to me it seemed like there was a few crucial uh, wartime decisions that were made or decisions changed because the people in charge got high essentially yeah that's true that was very interesting what so how so basically you the drug use in the war mock was just accepted or encouraged well um again i'm trying to um paint the picture for people who may not have may not have read the book yet um the Wehrmacht decided to use methamphetamine because they had done studies before the war started that showed that it enables a soldier to stay awake longer and to solve problems or, or follow orders or do whatever they had to do for a longer period of time without rest in certain situations where it might be needed. So they decided that this is a helpful tool. They didn't question they didn't have any ethical or moral problems with it or they didn't there were no studies done at the time about health hazards i mean if there would have been a lot of knowledge about um addiction or serious health risks at the time maybe they would have reacted differently but at the time methamphetamine was really seen as a A a, a wonder drug yeah kind of a wonder drug i mean this is really early when it, it this is like the same year it comes on the market, the army tests it. So um, there had not been enough studies uh, been done yet. But this changes in 41 when the first negative methamphetamine studies are being published. And then the German health minister, secretary of health, is trying to convince the army to stop the methamphetamine program. But then the army says, um, we've been using it for some time and we will continue to do so because... Um, it obviously is uh, helping the war effort. That's more important than maybe a couple of people getting addicted or having heart attack or whatever. Right. Did did the Germans introduce it to? Because I know the Japanese kamikaze pilots uh, use it extensively. Was that a was that a German introduction or they did it independently? Because I, I, I had also I, heard, I thought the Japanese, oh no, the Jap, that's when the Japanese made methadone. Is that right? No, they made, the Germans made methadone. The Japanese okay. actually invented methamphetamine. That's the, what I the thought. guy who ever did methamphetamine was a Japanese chemist in Tokyo. I think his name is Nagai. And I think it was in 1917, but you can also look it up in Blitz. I, I wrote, I, I'm pretty sure I wrote about it. But the German Temla company was the first company to actually make it into um, uh, a medication, a, a brand, uh, branding it as pervitine, putting it on the market. But then I don't know how it traveled back to Japan because then Japan also used it. They they called it Hiropon. That was their brand name. I would like to know actually what about how that how that traveled because Germany and Japan also were allies. So yeah, I don't know how. That's, that's, yeah, that's what I was that thinking. Was very interesting. Let me just. Uh, briefly interrupt here. Uh-huh. Can we do the second part in one hour? Yeah. Because I think it would be good to speak more, but I really have to go now. Is yeah. it a problem for you? No, that's fine. Are you, you basically, is that your home where you are right now? I mean, if you have more to ask, or oh. I'm not, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, so maybe we can do another 20 minutes or so. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Great. Um, let's see where we were at. So it sounded like after. Stauffenberg and Valkyrie, that's when Hitler went, he switched from the every other day, you could all to like multiple times per day. Is that right? Well, I mean, we have to look at the notes of Morel carefully and um, he doesn't, re- sometimes Hitler takes you could all multiple times a day, but mostly actually it is every other day. Um, Every other day, increasing the dosage after the bomb attack to 20 milligrams. Um, So I would say the heavy 
abuse of the of the opioids really really can be uh, said to be to be happening in the in the second half of 1944 after the attack. Was that when I know he also was giving him cocaine injections for what was like an ear problem? Well, he got he got. Or was that uh, from the bomb? No, he got well. Yeah, that he got the ear ear uh, injuries from the bomb, and then got a cocaine not injections but swabs. Is that a word? Mm, yeah, like yeah, uh, like oral his, or nasal swabs. Yeah, um, his tonsils got swabbed. Is that possible? Yeah, probably. Just, like, got yeah, yeah. Orals. He received uh, oral swabs uh, containing. Um, cocaine manufactured by the Merck company in, in Germany from uh, up, uh, about 50 times from the end of July to uh, beginning of October 1944, uh, saying each time when the doctor came with the cocaine, not each time, but often saying to the doctor, uh, don't even start examining me, give me the cocaine, it really clears my head, I have important decisions <laughs> to make. That's funny. And, that, and that's also, what's interesting is that um, with stimulants and cocaine, especially, there's like, um, they're almost making like a direct correlation between Parkinson's symptoms and, or actually causing Parkinson's itself. It's there's something called like drug-induced Parkinson's. Really? So, yeah, yeah. There's they're wow. tr they're trying to. They know that methamphetamine and amphetamine use absolutely will if you abuse that long enough can mimic Parkinson's symptoms because it affects the dopamine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's been a few studies, I think, recently about uh, trying to link cocaine to it as well because they're all dopamine related. So that's pretty interesting. Because um, I always get asked by journalists, didn't he suffer from Parkinson? Doesn't that explain his tremor? And I always say, well, it's connected to the drug yes. taking. Yes. I would, uh, yeah, I would definitely say that, um, that, that's, that makes, I mean, it's, it's, if you look at, uh, looking at the evidence, that's like the, the Occam's razor, the clearest answer to me, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it, so it seemed like, uh, Morel kind of used this to, he was trying to like slowly build like what, like a pharmaceutical empire for himself or something. He was like acquiring Factories. Yeah. Well, well Morel was a wealthy doctor, celebrity doctor in Berlin. But when he took the position as personal physician of Hitler, he had to basically abandon his practice in Berlin. And his wife criticized him for that, saying, uh, "You're going to make less money, actually, because the the, the monthly salary he received from um, the party." Uh, was not that high. I mean, it was a good salary, but it wasn't as high. It wasn't as much money as he made before. So he looked for other ways to benefit financially from his new position, which pleased him, obviously, this position. But he also looked for direct financial benefits and, and thought he, he could be able to construct a pharmaceutical empire, basically a one-man pharmaceutical empire. And he managed to do so. His first successful product was uh, Vita vitamin yeah vita multin it's a combination uh it's a combination of several vitamins and he was able to get contracts with the mass organizations of the third reich selling hundreds of millions of um of units to the ss to the german workers front to all these uh, mass organizations that the nazi state had um and then he acquired quite a large factory, which was taken from its Jewish owners in occupied um, Czechoslovakia. And then he made all these hormone um, things. I would be curious what you did. You study in my book um, the chapter about the hormone and uh, yeah, that, that that shit that just weirded me out. It sounded like um, was that also what he was. Um, it's, it seemed like the regulatory authority said we can't put any drug that you're not testing. So he started like testing them on the officers in the bunker. Yeah. On Hitler also. Yeah. 
Do people take these hormone things also in the drug scenes or? No, well, I mean, I guess that's essentially a a predecessor to like anabolic steroids, right? I would guess. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, like creatine and. What kind of people take these steroids and why do they take them? Bodybuilders. But that's a different scene, right? Oh, yeah. Completely different. Well, the it overlaps in like GHB. Um, yeah. Originally was it was sold in health food stores in America as a um, a steroid because for some reason it helps build muscle mass and help with fatigue and then people figured GHB? out it, yeah and then people figured out that you know it's a party drug as well so it became regulated but at first it was a steroid and another um what's a steroid actually uh man the actual definition i'm not sure it's just um stuff that activates hormones or uh it works on the hormone hormone system yeah yeah well hitler was really into that um and i i I read that that this also could cause parkinson's because the using a lot of weird hormone substances can create auto auto autoimmunological diseases which Parkinson's, I suppose, is. Right. Did um, And it said that this chapter wasn't in the American version, but uh, Patient D. Yeah. He speak on that. Well, Patient D, D stands for Duce, which was the Italian word for leader, you could say. Uh, it was Mussolini. And uh, Mussolini, who... In the beginning, was a kind of idol for Hitler because Mussolini started fascism in Italy and took power much earlier mm-hmm. than the Nazis were able to, to take power. Um, but but that relationship changed, and uh, in the end, in fact, Mussolini was more like a puppet of the German Nazi state and um, uh, was put under direct medical supervision by a German doctor. Uh, who uh, wrote weekly reports back to Morel describing Mussolini's state of health and asking what drugs he should administer to the to the Italian uh, uh, dictator. So um, that 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 political relationship also transferred into a, a medical uh, dependency of Italy towards Germany in a way, in a weird way. What what did it um, say? What he was taking or what he gave him? Um, or it's probably assumed it was around the same stuff that Hitler was. Well, Hitler, I mean, I focus very much on the opioids and on the real, on the real drugs, mm-hmm. but what we consider as hard drugs, but Hitler also took, uh, a variety of, um, medicines to stimulate his circulation to regulate his blood pressure to regulate his heart like he was he was taking and then these these medications were all given also to Mussolini I didn't read about uh, for example Oikodal being given to Mussolini so maybe he was he was getting a bit less than the Führer himself well, um, did the was the pervitine supply kept up for the entirety of the war or did that when the Merck factories got bombed did that cut off the supply of like everything no as far as to the soldiers and pervitin was manufactured by the temla company in berlin and when they started marketing it and started negotiating with the army about pervitin they um they said that methamphetamine is basically easy to produce they said we don't need precious raw materials that might be hard to get at a certain point in time. Um, we we can always we can always deliver, and they actually did deliver all the way to the end. Um, when when their plant was um, under attack here in Berlin, they relocated to a small town in western Germany where they could manufacture pervitin um, without being uh, disturbed by by bombings. Um, and the central authority for the distribution of raw materials of the Nazi state gave uh, Temla still the needed raw materials to produce pervitin in February 1945. 
So even very late in the war, they would still manufacture methamphetamine, which was uh, at that time also used um, in combination with morphine for wounded soldiers who were put on um, trains fr back fr riding back to, 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 to the homeland. Uh, and, and the idea was with a combination of morphine and methamphetamine, they, they're going to make the journey and going to make it to the, op to, the, to the surgery, to the operation table and, and to the hospital alive. So um, the that's, usage changed a little bit. That's interesting. And were the allies, their stimulant of choice was benzedrine, wasn't it? Or did, yeah. did they, like, did... So Germany was the pioneer as far as wartime stimulants. Is that yeah. And so did do you think like the Americans or to your knowledge did they like see what was happening and get tips that like maybe this is something we need to look into? Yeah, I mean, it happened through the British because they realized what's going on on the German side and then they started looking at what they had, which was basically benzedrine, and were trying to evaluate whether it would be good for them, and then decided it would be good for them. And then through them, the Americans got introduced to using benzedrine on the battlefield. Do you know, what's the, do you know the current state of wartime stimulants? I had a reading in San Francisco, and afterwards was approached by a Navy SEAL, a retired Navy SEAL, telling me that in the Navy SEALs, they're using everything they can get their hands on and everything that's legal they, they they are using and they're using it to a great extent really they cannot use cocaine if you use cocaine or crystal meth you're immediately uh, taken off the team but if you use anything that's legal if it's Adderall or oxycotton or anything that they can use that as much as they want and he said they use it because they have you know, long missions which which demand uh, a three or four day state state of alertness. So yeah. uh, he said that Blitz reminded him a, a lot of what's going on within the U.S. Special Forces. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the, uh, a telling just to to give people an idea of how acceptable it was when I read about the stimulant decree that it was like essentially. Yeah, the government being—you can speak more on it—but essentially, the government being like, "We we officially endorse this, basically." Yeah, well, um, there was one professor in Germany respond uh, who who worked for the German army. His name is Ranke, and he was responsible for performance enhancement. And when he realized that pervitin keeps you awake uh, for a long time. Uh, he, he's, he suggested it to the, um, to the Surgeon General, which then um, uh, agreed that it would be good. And, and then obviously because it's an army and pervitin was not an illegal drug at the time, they uh, tried to set up guidelines and, and, and uh, regulations and on how to use it, how much to use, what are the side effects and so it was all, you know, open and, and uh, it wasn't hidden or anything. It was an official decision to use it. So all the paperwork is there. Right. Do you, this one will be more pure just conversation speculation. Do you think, I would, I would say yes. Do you think the drug use by the Nazis influenced their interest in the occult? Um, right. I actually would answer no, because the interest in the occult is a phenomenon within the Nazi movement that plays, at least to my knowledge, but I could be wrong, um, a larger part in the beginning of the Nazi movement, when they start in oh, okay. the 20s, and when they take power in early 30s, but then we can see that Hitler actually tries to cut down on the role of the occult because he wants to present himself as a modern rational leader. So he criticizes actually Himmler, the SS, for still believing in that mumbo-jumbo, as Hitler then calls it. Oh, wow. um, Hitler had a 
uh, sort of a ma magician or an advisor, or I don't know exactly what his role was, but his name is Hanussen. Maybe you've heard of him. Hanussen was um, um, quite influential in, in, in those circles, but then he was sidelined uh, after Hitler took power and uh, I believe even um, assassinated, so he couldn't probably tell secret about secret rituals that they might have done. So I, I think the occult does play quite an important role for the Nazi movement, but more in the beginning, and I have not seen any connections of the of those uh, things uh, with with drugs, actually. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, was Morel an addict? That, in fact, is one of the hardest questions to answer, and I think... And I couldn't be, I wasn't able to answer it uh, in Blitz, but. Yeah, because I, would be, I can't imagine would, an addict would self-report like, oh, I injected myself 12 times today. I don't, I don't think he would have wrote, wrote that down. Could you imagine a non-addicted doctor giving all these medications? No, not at all. <laughs> you think he, you think he was on it? I'm sure. I, yeah, at the very, yeah. I would why do you why do you think so curiosity well and if it seemed like um, it was more common in the eras when these medications were being developed um, mm -hmm. like along the lines of LSD and stuff uh, it was very common for the inventors to experiment on themselves before they could experiment so at the very oh, least, you think, he, you think he also took those hormone things and maybe not, maybe the thing, cause it sounded like a lot of it. He just knew was absolute bullshit. Mm. Like he, he knew that it was, you know, placebo. Um, I don't mm. know. May, I don't know. What, what, what would you think? I'm not sure because he never writes about it and, but as you said, he, there's no need for him to write about it, or it would be smart not to write about it, obviously. Right. He writes, there's one note by him where he writes, my assistant Weber had to come down from Berlin to the Obersalzberg to give me my injections because I was shaking so much I couldn't do it anymore myself. That's the only kind of hint that he, he, he did do injections. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big hint, too. Yeah, it is. I'd say. So yeah. what what caused the eventual firing? What caused the because they were thick as thieves? So what caused Hitler and Morel to eventually separate? Well, this is something that I cannot fully answer why it happened. But in January 1945, he suddenly stops giving uh, Oikodali oxycontin even though he had given it quite a lot before. I mean, that's the high time is the end of 1944, October, November. He gives, he gives a lot of intravenous shots. And then in January, he suddenly stops. And there was a devastating uh, bomb attack on the Merck company in December 1944, the producer of Oikodal. So maybe it just wasn't available anymore, but it also sounds a bit crazy because... There must be there must be a stash of oikodal somewhere. I mean, at least for Hitler. Yeah, yeah. I would, so, I would wonder if it was some sort of um, power play or like trying to hold out on them to keep them. I don't know. I wonder what the dynamic between the two of them was toward the end because Morel knew that, you know, as the dealer that Hitler needed him as long as he was providing, and as soon as he stopped, then he wouldn't need him anymore. So that's interesting. So you think it's impossible that they ran out of Oikoda? No, it's it's definitely possible. Um, mm. But at the same time, like you said, every uh, having a stash is usually up there in priority. But I guess in wartime, you know, supply lines can get cut off, stashes can get destroyed. Yeah. Oh, and um, that was the other interesting you you wrote about that vast quantities, tons and tons of cocaine and heroin and um what was the other one it was another drug were being sent to fronts in africa and other places is possibly like using his is 
currency yeah. exchange or well the intelligence the german military intelligence received huge amounts of of these drugs and uh there's no record of what they did with the drugs this and they re received kilos of heroin and cocaine and it can't be for their own use because it doesn't make sense so they must have it's, they must have done something with them, but the records are not. No one has found those records yet, so I don't right. really know. But maybe they traded with it. Right. What um, do you do you anticipate this? Like, what's been the response to this? Do you anticipate eventually the history books to be kind of rewritten on this and for this to become commonly accepted in the future? Well, it seems like. Blitz is kind of making its way, and it seems to be unstoppable. Mm -hmm. uh, some historians, like uh, very important historians, have um, have uh, gotten behind the book and are supporting it. And say, for example, Ian Kershaw, who's the leading Hitler biographer, he says this is important research. And um, so I think that the book will stay. And I think there's there's been a um, uh, a review in the British Historical Society recently, uh, basically saying it's very good that finally ha someone has pointed out that drugs might play an interesting part in history, and we have to examine this more. So, um, I, th I, I, it, I think that it, it, it's a little bit of a game changer in that respect. Yeah, I would say so too. And like I said, it's something that. Um anybody that has any sort of experience with these kind of chemicals it's plain to see when presented with with the evidence and people's beha behaviors and conversations and demeanors it's it's pretty pretty painfully obvious what what do you think in the current state of germany do you see footprints of it or um what's the has pervitine turned into a meth problem for current German youth? What's the... Well, it's an interesting story that goes through Prague, the capital of, Czechos of the Czech Republic. Um, I was approached by a journalist from, from the Czech Newsweek. She had done a story on... Because in Prague, if you leave the train station, people will approach you, especially at night, asking you whether you want pervitine. It's the only country it, in the world where crystal meth is actually called pervitine. Wow. And uh, the reason for this is that in the 60s, um, Bohemians and people who resist, who didn't like the communist system, were working on uh, developing a drug that would give them free headspace, maybe, and they... Uh, recooked methamphetamine. So in the 60s, methamphetamine was started to become big in the Czech Republic, and they called it pervitin because they used the original um, recipes from the Temla company. They they were somehow stored in an archive in Prague, or I, 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 it was some some strange story. And and since then, in Prague and or in the Czech Republic, everyone thinks methamphetamine is called pervitin. They just it's for them it's one word. It's pervitin. And now the, perv wow. the methamphetamine we're getting in Germany is all coming from the Czech Republic. It's flooding in over the Czech-German border, basically, into Germany. Is it the most popular street drug right now? Or Not really in Berlin. More in Bavaria, which is bordering the Czech Republic. It's, a, it's become a big problem there. In Berlin, it's, people take speed, usually. Not, not crystal meth. Oh, okay. They take speed, or I mean, most people just smoke marijuana. Yeah, is is uh, is marijuana legal over there? Um, you can carry, I think, seven grams in Berlin, but it's still it's still not legal. It's not like in the state in some states. Yeah, where are you based? What's that? Where are you based? Uh, I'm in Louisiana right now. It's not legal there. No. Nope. Medical it is. Um, oh, medical it is. Yep. Because I have a medical card from California. Do you? Can I use that in Louisiana? 
That's a good question. I think I think it's state by state. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Because I'll be in Louisiana in November. I'm going to speak at a World War II conference in New Orleans. Oh, are you really? I'll come see yeah. you. What, what's the date on that? Are you in New Orleans? Uh, that's only about two hours away. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to be there November 16th to the 19th. Awesome. Check oh. it out. It's a World, World War II conference. Could be interesting. Yeah, it's probably at the World War II Museum they have there. And um, I think so. A lot of my listeners are, um, or some of them are in Louisiana too, so maybe we can get some people to come out there and yeah. support you. Um, Yeah, yeah. I would like to think so. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Jay, yeah, I, mean, I, w- I wasn't on it. He so. wasn't there. Those darn kids. I know. Well, um, you know. Okay, so we got a we got a big surprise for y'all. Uh, one man has answered the call for a jingle for things I heard at drug school. And the world premiere is right now. Say no to drugs and yes to school and fuck you to the things I heard in drug school. Amazing. Amazing. Bravo. AJ, if if y'all remember the episode with AJ, that's our boy. That's who made that. Shout outs. Thank you. So, without further ado, things I heard in drug school. <laughs> I'm I'm I'd forgotten what because I'm I wrote it in shorthand. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then it made me laugh because I remembered. Um, we were talking about uh, sex and how like what do you do if a patient is um, attracted to you and vice versa? And the teacher hmm. just says, you got to be on the lookout for sex patrol. Talking about within the group, and and this this guy <laughs> raised his hand like like it, like it was the most novel thing in the world. He just goes, wait. You mean between group members? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. You've never been to an AA meeting. Yeah, that dude, dude never. You've never been to an AA meeting. Yeah. Um, this one was good. This one was real good. Uh, we didn't know where she was going with it, but it, she, it was this awesome lady who's like the most soft-spoken. And she was like, we were talking about bullying. We got stuck on bullying. And she was like, in sixth grade? I was getting bullied by this boy, so I went home and made a chemical concoction. Just dump stuff together. I was gonna get his ass. And Good we lord! Like, yeah, we were oh like, my. oh my god! We're like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I just went home and dumped Lysol and bleach, and I was just gonna throw it on him. And we were oh like, my oh my geez. god! <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I thought it was gonna conclude. Did you throw it on him? There's so many questions I have. No, no, yeah, we did. We're like, so did you do anything to it? And she goes, No, he wised up. And we're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Good lord, lady. Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, the teacher finally shut down the methadone mumbler. Oh, thank God. Because me, I got yeah. sick of fighting with. I got sick of fighting with him on his blog. By the way, oh, I couldn't dude. take it. Anymore. It he was. was even- and you could see he he shuffled into class like looking like he was dope sick like he was walking with a limp and then you could literally see like the dose taking effect and him just perking up little by little and he was quiet at first and then he just wouldn't shut up and finally the teacher was like look all that mumbling has got to stop and because like, <laughs> uh, because I got no, like my. The guy next to me got in a fight with him, and then finally I got in a fight with him, and so finally he was just like, look, you need to shut up. Uh, <laughs> so, and this was just a good little uh, back and forth I heard. 
he was talking to my friend who was wearing a um he's a ginger and he was wearing a, an LSU shirt and he was like I mean I wouldn't want to be a redheaded LSU fan and then my friend just immediately fired back and goes better than a bald-headed Alabama fan cuz he's bald. Uh, so that was good. That was Zinga. Yeah, was Zinga. Uh LSU does uh suck though so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> My, just an example of the buff- the buffoonery of the teaching. He walked in front of the projector, right? It was projecting onto the screen. And he wa- walked uh-huh. in front of it and blocked it out. And he just turns around and goes, Whoa, what did I do? What did I press? Where'd it go? Where'd the screen go? <laughs> 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 like, and then he was like, Oh, 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 I'm in front of it. It was, yeah. <laughs> That's a good um, danger field. That's what he sounds like, dude. That's exactly what he sounds like. It's really funny. Uh, he talked about a when this this session was all on like bullying and like what you do if they make sexual advances. And he was talk- what is the what does bullying have to do with drug school? Uh, I think it's to, it's to keep me? yeah, it's to keep um because it's talking about in every group there's gonna be a mayor. Right, which is an unofficial, which is true. Like oh, okay. in every group in life, there's like an unofficial mayor who's who's going to be the spokesperson. People are going to look to him. Mm-hmm. So you got to watch out for bullying within the group to make sure people have a chance to speak. And if someone's uh, commandeering uh, the conversation, to shut them down in a polite way, stuff like that. Gotcha. Like yeah. running a meeting. Got yes, it. Exactly. Um, and but the teachers gave an example of he had he was working at a prison and like a female prisoner was just like slowly dropping uh her jumpsuit off of her shoulder and just oh like and he was just like I had to get out of there like it was a danger zone. <laughs> uh, that might be the most unattractive thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, I know. He said she was hit too, but he was <laughs> but he was like they got sexual manipulators in there. You just gotta be careful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, then another just I heard a lot of just uh, one liners during this one. I was the methadone dude really pissed me everyone off but uh, everyone was talking and the methadone mumbler goes oh I have an answer and the teacher immediately just goes oh I'm sure you do and just kept on talking <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> this this one. <laughs> you just laugh. Did you just laugh like directly at him when that sort of things happens? Oh, I'm sure, every I'm like... no. That one lit up the class. Like <laughs> even the, even the teacher laughed at his own joke. I mean, it was just too perfect. <laughs> and he laughed. He was like, "I'm sure you do." Um, oh, that's so great. The uh, the <laughs> one of the weirdest dudes. It, and I'm talking about with the straightest face in the world just goes oh i got a question it's just like yo what do you got he goes now what do you do if you find your client repugnant or ugly (laughs) 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 well in bonus points this dude is repugnant and ugly too dude like he's no spring chicken (laughs) like He's not he's not a, a handsome man, but apparently he's worried about being offended by someone's looks. So it's, and it's, he, he didn't even know how to really answer that. What do you just say to that? Like I don't know, yeah, deal don't know with it? That. Like you yeah, should leave then. You should just leave the room. You uh, should just not be a counselor, maybe. Oh, and just the last thing, uh so the methadone mumbler constantly is like talking about how Trump is full of shit and all that. He's an anti-Trumper. And when I got in an argument with him uh, about methadone, I quoted some statistics, and he came back with, "That's that's not true. That's a fake fact." And I, and I said, "Okay, Trump," and he just <laughs> fucking hated that so much, dude. <laughs> so much. Uh, yeah, and uh, that concludes things I heard at drug school. Uh, should I play the theme again at the end of the thing? Yes, please. Uh, I'm gonna choose another one. Say no to drugs and yes to school. And I can't even do the things I heard in drug school. Alright, that's it, man. Until next time. Oh, yeah, we got some emails to read next time. Um, oh, yeah. Join our Patreon. Go to Patreon. Our Patreon. Check it out. 
Remember, uh, we've still got one more John Wick that Jay needs to watch, so... No, we don't. Join that Patreon. That's not a thing. Join that Patreon. Not gonna happen. And email us. We keep liking those emails. We're gonna read them. They keep this thing going. And... They keep this thing going when Jed's in a deep, deep, dark depression. When I've taken too many probiotics and I'm depressed, that's the only thing that one... (laughs) One like keeps, you know, keeps keeps me alive. So right. just no pressure, but think about that. Just think about it.